with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Wright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Welcome to another episode of SBL Shootaround, and the excitement's really beginning to build now. You can you can feel it. We're less than a week away from real action being back on the court here in Western Australia. The West Coast Classic gets underway this weekend, and also we're down to the final four teams in our NCAA tournament to crown the ultimate SBL Championship team. So plenty plenty now to be excited about, plenty for us to talk about, plenty to look forward to. And we've got another very special guest, somebody that has had a 30-plus year involvement in basketball in WA as a player, as a coach, as an administrator, and now as a coach at, at the national level as well. So really looking forward to that. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host here on SBL Shootaround. And I, as I introduce you to my co-host, are you starting to feel a little bit better? Ben Etridge, is, yeah. is, is the pain getting a little bit better in that, in that knee? Yes, it is. And I'm not sure whether it's been a, a week post-op or whether or not it's been a week away from actually having some basketball to, to go and be a part of. Mm. So everyone's up and about. We had a, uh, a great function up at uh, Calamunda on the weekend with our Legends game, 250 people in attendance and a, mm. and a great game and good to catch up and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, basketball is well and truly back and, and looking forward to being a part of the action this weekend. Yeah, there's so much to look forward to now. Last week's show, a lot of great feedback about the two interviews we did, two very different people, but equally fascinating in their own way, Jared Pruin and Bryn Jones. Reflecting back on the chat you had with with those two guys, did did you learn a fair bit about both of them that you perhaps didn't know didn't know before? I think it was just great insight. You know, you sure. hear the stories of, as you said, you know, the the legend that is Jared Pru and uh, did he actually have a, a rebounder credited to him as he as he was born and, and those <laughs> sorts of stories. And yep. um, just a, a, a true gentleman of the game, someone who's using the game of basketball as a, a way to facilitate better things in his life and it's not letting him letting it define him he's he's a great father and a great husband and an awesome bloke along the way so just awesome to chat to him and Bryn Jones the the man that is the legend you know he's done so many things in WA basketball and, and around Australia and to hear his story which dates back you know further than the SBL's um, coming in back to those early Wildcats days and, and um, district comp days. like Great to have a chat. Um, I really enjoy catching up with these legends. I guess that's the only way you can, can describe them. No, absolutely. And we're lucky enough to be joined by another one on, on this show as well. He's a man that's done it all. He had a 300-plus game playing career. He's now a three-time championship winning coach. The last five years, he's been coaching wheelchairs both locally with the Western Stars, and, and now he's also involved in, in the, the national team, the Gliders. He's had a hell of a life in basketball, and he's someone you know really well. Steve Charlton, someone I'm sure you're looking forward to talking to. Yeah, uh, caught up with Charlie about a month ago, went down to the, the waste facility and with him and Brad Ness and caught up with the, uh, the wheelchair gliders and, and rollers and had a chat to him then. And just the way it's sort of broken at the moment, he's the only living person we've got that's actively played against or coached against or coached the, the four teams remaining in the uh, in the final yeah. four. And looking forward to picking his brain about those early years of his coaching and if there's anything that really stands out to him. You mentioned our NCAA tournament. Let's, let's have a quick chat about it now. And then you will, you will catch up with Mark Hartley later in the show too. 
I guess, get our reactions to the Elite Eight results and also make your predictions on the final four results, the last two matchups, before we get to the championship game. Very quickly, the Elite Eight matchups, they were four really tough matchups to pick, and that's that was shown in some of the voting. But first of all, the Perth Redbacks of 1990 defeated the Prairie Lakes Hawks of 1994. We had the Goldfields Giants of 2007, coached by Steve Charlton, beating the Wanneroo Wolves of 2011, coached by Ben Etridge. Now, this one was incredible. The voting in this one, because you, because both yourself and Mark Hartley were split in who you chose, went down to the fan vote, and it was decided by one vote. There was one vote, the difference between the Giants and the Wolves. It was absolutely remarkable. So that just goes to show every single vote that you cast is, is counting in this competition. We just then on had, that, I, yep. can I just say, I think I, I should have signed my mum up Facebook <laughs> so she could have voted. Uh, oh, you, you should have. It would have made the difference. Um, and then we had another really close one. The Swan City Mustangs in the, of 1991, the East Perth Eagles of 2014. Now, this one was only decided in total by four votes. So this is another incredibly close battle. And then the Perry Lakes Hawks of 2003, not quite as close. They got through over the Williton Tigers of 2010. Obviously, you can chat a little bit more about it with Mark later on, but your first reactions to that? Oh, it's like any time you do a poll like this or you're asking people who's the greatest of all time, whether it's Biggie or Tupac or whether it's Michael Jackson or Prince, <laughs> um, everyone's got their own flavour and their own spin and, and they've got their own memories on it. And every team that we've, we've gone through from the 1 to 32 could have stayed claim to this. Um, I think we're now getting down to four four amazing teams that I don't think anyone would really cast aspersions over. And if anything, exactly what I wanted to happen by doing this was we've given people something to talk about. People yep. are discussing it. People are DMing me. People are abusing me in the streets like usual. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's got people talking and it's got people talking to the old players that used to play, catching up with their mates that were on those teams and discussing it. That's what it's about. We're a community of, of people who love basketball. And if we haven't got it to watch, let's talk about it. So that's what we've achieved. I just wanted to give a shout out to the East Perth team of 2014. And then I want you to do the same for your, your Wolves team in 2011 because they, they lost by such a small, small margin. The East Perth team was a time where I was obviously starting to be heavily involved in the league. So I saw this team closely. I got to know Adam Ford as a coach and they didn't have a great regular season. So they finished seventh, but come playoff time, they were just ready to peak. And having Kyle Armour at his absolute peak as a point guard, having Tom Jervis at his peak as the centre. Then you had guys like Joe Allen Tapaya, Drew Williamson, Matty Young Mo. I mean, it was an incredible team, but I just loved the chemistry they built. They had a great bond and you have a look at Austin Kisilev and Andre Donlajic. These guys all made strong contributions, but it was just the chemistry they built. And, you know, it's pretty humble surroundings you're coming from out there at East Perth at that time. They were still playing at Morley, but they just created something special come playoff time. I love what Forty did in the finals. He was happy to stir the pot. They came up against the, the Perth Redbacks, who had finished set second at the end of the regular season. Forty was happy to stir the pot. He made some comments that he knew would, would get the Redbacks fired up, and, and that worked. And all of a sudden... The Redbacks were focused on the comments by 40 rather than probably what they should have been. And as a result, the Eagles came out and beat them in two games. They didn't lose that whole playoff series, ended up with a, with a massive um, grand final win over the Bucks. But I just loved everything about that East Perth team. They deserve to be one of the final, I guess, six teams if we narrow it down. But yeah, I mean, for me, I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. 
yeah, I think that was a catalyst. Uh, Adam Ford going on to, to bigger and better things yeah. than where he's now. I think you'd be pretty happy with with that 2014 championship and and how it set things up for him moving forward. And and for me, you know, that 2011 team that really was the catalyst for me to really deciding to stay in the SBL. Just come off a gold medal in Beijing and a gold medal at a World Cup was under a huge amount of pressure to to move east and and run the national program from over there and was trying to establish something um, in the state league here and made the decision you know, to stay here in Perth based on the team that we had at the Wolves and that success and I think 2011 and 2012 that ability to coach you know 26 games week in week out was something that I wasn't going to get over east mm-hmm. um, and it was you know the wheelchair league is great but essentially it's only 15 games in a year so being able to stay in the league and coach in the SBL against quality coaches and quality teams and really hone those skills that set me up for success over the next sort of 10 to, to 12 years I think was a really good decision to, to stay here but yeah that 2011 team I'm going to have a stern chat to my mum when I when we finish <laughs> this and, 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 and see what was going on there <laughs> oh fantastic now now, as I said, you'll speak to Mark Utley about this more later, but our final four matchups, the Perth Redbacks of 1990, the Goldfields Giants of 2007, and then the Swan City Mustangs of 1991, Prairie Lakes Hawks of 2003. From those final four, there's not a, there's not a bad winner. All four of them are, are deserving of going all the way from here. Look, if you can edit this in at the uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, the Let's Get Ready to Rumble, Mark and I are going to break down in-depth Andrew Vlahoff versus Mike Haney Fantastic. because that straight away jumped out to us. That's the matchup that those two guys running from one end of the court head-to-head in, and would explode in the in the centre circle. Not one of them would give an inch. Just can't wait to talk to Mark about that one. And then, yeah, how are the, the top-loaded Swan City Mustangs going to go against that deep, deep, Perry Lake team. Where's where's going to be that chink in the armour that gets one of those teams through? So, yeah, can't wait to chat to Mark about that a bit later. Yep, can't wait. Now, just quickly, West Coast Classic. We'll do one more show, which will be our championship show for our NCAA tournament, and it'll double as our as our West Coast Classic Round 1 preview. But just quickly, less than a week out now from the West Coast Classic. Uh, obviously, based on what you saw on Saturday night, the Calamundra Eastern Suns that you're involved with are looking pretty good. But are you, are you feeling a great sense of excitement right across Right across the state, I guess, given the Goldfields Giants and, and the Bucks and the Slammers are involved too. Great sense of excitement that basketball is now, now back. Yeah, and the way I'm approaching this is is like it's a tournament. You know, you, when we'd go away to a World Cup or Paralympics, you knew you had eight games and, you know, an early loss can set you off or a couple of early wins set you up for your back end of your tournament. So, you know, and it's that unknown. In a, in a tournament like that, all it takes is one, you know, such a short season, one person not playing a weekend or one person getting injured could really upset a team. Someone coming into a team a couple of weeks in, it's re- those those things that happen in a, in a 20-week season are going to be magnified. So, um, it's really going to be exciting to see how teams go week to week, getting up and about, how many teams have sat around in COVID and sat on the couch and watched too much of the last dance, or how many of the guys are out there actually hitting the pavement and staying in shape. And, you know, the, that first weekend, as I said a few weeks ago, I think we're going to see high amount of turnovers, not very good shooting percentages as guys really adjust back playing competitive basketball. And just to, to throw back to the weekend, um, as I've been saying all along, you know, we had a, a Legends game up there at Kalamunda. The, the ex-Suns players were, were against the, the current crop and Mark delivered a, a full pregame. There was no, this is a fun game, sausage sizzles after. We, we went through, we had a scout, we had everything done. Craig's Mansfield on the other side. He was sitting back, relaxed, mm-hmm. but at the jump ball, he was leaning forward in his normal stance. <laughs> he was standing up. He was switching things out of time. It got competitive the moment the ball went up in the air. Mm-hmm. So... That's what I'm expecting this weekend. We can say what we want. Once that ball goes up, we're, it's on. 
Oh, absolutely. Now, and it's going to be fascinating to see who ends up playing for all these teams too. I think a bit of news out of the General Up Wolves. They did announce the signing of Lachlan Cummings, but I, I'm led to believe that Lee Roberts might be standing up for them as well. And I think we might be getting a lot of surprises in this in this round one. So, so I guess yeah, we we never quite know who's going to be suiting up for anyone until we actually actually get to, get to the arenas on 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 this weekend. Well, that thing with the the no contracts and and no team lists and all mm. those sorts of things, it's um, it's a little bit of uh, yeah, just turn up and see what cards you dealt. Which again yeah. adds to that excitement. Definitely, Lee Roberts up at Joondalup makes a uh, a big difference for them. I know he's, he he sort of lives around the corner from there, so it makes sense that he's that he's there. And we we still don't know. Sean Reddy just said he's not playing, but you never know. He might put his hand up and and decide he wants a run, which, yeah. which instantly makes Perry Lakes. Uh, Probably a top four prospect. So, yeah, lots of things around the league that we get to find out. And I guess this weekend we just get to see it all come to fruition. Well, people don't lie on podcasts that they do with me, do they? <laughs> oh, mate. Who knows? <laughs> um, now, before we get to Steve Charlton on, on this week's show, show Bennett, two quick questions for you. Um, just let me know what who pops into your mind first, if anyone does. Um, my first question um, Either somebody you played with or, or coached, is there somebody who you thought didn't have any or very little, you know, God-given talent, natural-born talent, but just got the absolute best out of themselves to become a superstar? Is there someone that springs to mind who was given the least but got the most out of themselves to become a superstar? Does someone spring to mind? Given the least but got the most out of their talent. If you hit me here, let me have a quick <laughs> think. Look. Yeah, look, uh, when I think of that one and I think of someone who growing up probably had a few things that they had to overcome first, but the the person for me that, you know, and it's not that they had the least, but mm. maybe they made the most out of every ounce of their talent mm-hmm. is Damien Maddock. Um, yeah, sure. You know, growing up, he had a lot of leg issues and, and, and things like that. And then, you know, for a guy you talk about, you know, and I know we've got footage of him dunking, um, <laughs> but. Not the most athletic person in the world, just learnt how to play the game, how to apply his craft, and then, you know, bona fide superstar of the SBL just through his sheer work ethic, um, the way he goes about it on and off the court, preparing himself. Yeah, look, for me, that person is Damien Maddock. Got every ounce of um, ability out of what he was given and got a, got a couple of championships and an MVP to go along with it and a, and a hell of a career um, across the world. So, yeah, yep. that would be that, Damien Maddock. That, great answer. Now, the opposite side of, side of that table. Is there somebody who you did coach or play alongside who you thought had all the ability in the world? They could absolutely do anything they wanted based on their athletic gifts and the gifts that God had given them, but they didn't ever reach their potential for one reason or another. Is there somebody who you thought was going to become a superstar and um, for whatever reason, they, they just didn't? Oh, look, uh, I've probably played with a hundred guys that, and I'll say in comparison to myself, that. Yeah. I felt were way better players than me and they could jump out of the gym, they could shoot the lights out, they were bigger, they were stronger, they were faster and for whatever reason, they just didn't didn't click. So, look, I, I don't want to call anyone out. But, no, that, uh, that, that, was a, that was a tough one. Yeah, and look, again, edit, everyone's circumstances are different and sometimes it is those little bits of adversity early on that, that set you on that path. For some people, it's just, you know, work takes priority or school takes priority. So, but yeah, look, yeah, it's a, that's a that's a tough one. that's a tough one. No, that, that was unfair. I shouldn't have asked you to name someone someone in that situation. But still, as always, you handle everything that's thrown at you very well. So, so well done. And now Thanks, we'll move on on SBL shoot around. When we come back, we'll speak to Stephen Charlton.
Okay, back here on SBR Shooting Around for this week and a very special guest and somebody who whose name is synonymous with the SBL in so many ways and basketball in WA and in so many ways. He was a 307-game player in the league and then as a coach he had some tremendous success, winning championships both at the Goldfields Giants and the Coburn Cougars and in the last five years he's had some great success coaching wheelchair basketball as well, still involved in the SBL as a commissioner of the, of the, the league as well. So... If we're talking about somebody with a, a remarkable history with the SBL and basketball WA, then it's hard to, hard to go past Steve Charlton. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much, mate. Uh, appreciate the, uh, the nice words. No worries at all. Um, before I hand you over to Ben, um, when you think about your 30-plus year history now in the league and basketball in general as a player, as a coach, administrator, you, you've pretty much had a, had a hand in everything. Um, it's fair to say basketball's had a huge part in your life. Are you? Do you look back on pride with everything that you have been able to to achieve? Yes and no. It, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously the the successes uh, that I was lucky to be a part of with uh, with the Giants and uh, and Coburn. Uh, very proud of of what we all achieved there and the, and the work the guys did and, and developing players along the way. And and obviously that's that's rolled into uh, into the wheelies in the last five years. But at, at the same time, I kind of don't kind of focus on that part of it. Mm. It's more. I still feel like I'm. Yeah, I, the term gets overused, but I still feel like I'm just still on the journey. So oh, I sure. kind of, kind of don't reflect, but I, not in that way, I guess, is or in that term, and, and whether that's the right, the right thing or not, I'm not mm. sure. But it, it's just kind of the best way I can describe it. Yeah, that's spoken like a true coach, there, Charlie. You're, ne- you're <laughs> never happy. I think um, that's probably something that all of us sort of share. That no matter what we're looking at, we're we're always trying to find that next challenge or that next thing that we can do better. Um, so, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it comes maybe as a surprise uh, initially when um, yeah, you're, you're fortunate enough and, and, and have uh, had some, some, some fortune along the way and kind of have your, your day, maybe. And then it's like, all right, open the next book and what's next? Uh, <laughs> so it's, a, it's very much a, a here and forward sort of uh, job, really. Mm. And look, as as we look at your career, and it's huge. And I know there was a bit of time over east as well, playing over there. And when I look at the, the successes you've had as a coach, does does Anik really compare to the under eighteen Division two team that you coached at Willerton back in the day? <laughs> you had a bit more hair on top, and there was a couple of skinny kids running around in there. One of them was was me. Um, <laughs> do you remember? People don't realize. People don't realize that, do they? Uh, um, you know what? It, 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 it's yeah. I had a bit more hair. I was probably a bit skinnier myself. But it was it was fun. It was one of the first times I kind of took coaching seriously in any any way. I coached down at Willerton just within their domestic program. And you know the the healthy environment that is as far as yep. getting involved and kind of took the, the the challenge. But I wasn't that much. I'm still not that much older. I was only five or so years older than whatever it is. But yeah, you know, yeah. And it was like it was the first time I kind of really went like you know what I want to. I want to have a crack at this, and and part of it was yeah, my parents involved uh, with rugby league growing up. I'm from Sydney, and they got involved with rugby league clubs, and and sort of encouraging that don't be a taker all the time in clubs to to give back in in whatever format it was. And I kind of got a lot of directives from my parents in that regard. And and you know what? It's a joke, and it's funny. Yeah, you know, thirty something years later, but you know it was it, it probably was very formative that it was the first time I kind of sat at the, the end of yeah that end of the bench and went you know. 
I got, I've got to work out how do I fix this? How do we improve this? How do we, yeah. you know, I can't turn around at the cope and go, what should I do? Um, and it actually was, you know, as I said, probably very formative back then when I was only a young fellow myself. Yeah, and I remember we uh, we were quite. I don't think you were initially the coach, but then we, when we did find out that it was was Charlie coming down to coach, it was quite of a big deal because at that time I think you just just started to. I think you just come back from over east, or had you just about to head over? I was away ninety one. Uh, sorry, ninety two, ninety three. So right. if you're asking me what year that was, yeah, it would have been, been ninety and or ninety one, probably just before you headed over. So, but yeah, yeah. you were definitely um, a, a big contributor in the SBL at that stage with the with the Tigers, I guess. So, don't yeah, find my feet. I'd like to say, <laughs> you, you, yes. you, like you said, you well, went away for a couple of years, too. and then you came back in 1994, which is well, a year I wanted to ask you about. I've only got the stats to go by, but you spent half a season at the Sterling Senators, half the season at the Wellington Tigers. Can you talk us through what happened? Um, and yeah, it's, it's a little fuzzy and a little, <laughs> little, little, uh, yeah, is what it is. But mm. I, I came back, I spent my two years with Kilsyth in, uh, what yep. we would now recall Siebel. It was, uh, the CBA when I was there and then came back and went, went back to Willerton. And at the end of the day, it, just, it was just the wrong fit. And it was mm. a long fit, uh, wrong fit for a few reasons. There's a few, no one's fault, but sometimes, you know, when you say the, a few issues, it's not blame. It's just, you know, it's a, a four finger glove. And, um, so, uh, came to a point where it was like, well, this isn't working. So um, we uh, we looked elsewhere and, um, you know, I, I spoke to a couple of people in the league and I remember speaking to Gary, who was uh, my first coach uh, down at Hangney, as it was back in the day. Yep. And, and he offered us a chance to go down to Coburn or he suggested Sterling where there was mm. uh, a develop a developing team with a guy who in Kim Ritchell who really had us that, that team sort of progressing and moving forward. And yeah, Greg was very upfront. He said, you can come and play for me at Coburn. I'll have you any day, but you won't play SBL. Mm-hmm. Um, because I got my boys, but there's yeah, there'd be a pinch hit here and there if, if need be. But I've got my team. But long, long view, he thought that that was a good fit, and he absolutely would have been right. But being whatever age I was, 27-ish, um, I was like, nah, bugger that. I want to go play. So I, I took off up the road to Sterling and uh, and spent a number of years there. After that, well, you, you were there until the end of 2004. So something obviously worked well there, and you obviously liked the place. You know what? It, it comes back, and as you've been listening to uh, to uh, your podcasts, and um, I think the, the one last week with Jared um, kind of summed it up perfectly. That the relationships I made there, and, and, and Mark Utley, who keeps featuring here, is, uh, mm-hmm. is is one of my best mates. And it was mm-hmm. you know him and the, the Vincentinos, the the, the Paul Gutes, the Andrew McLennans, these guys that become tight, tight friends. So you just kind of don't ever think about not going back there because yeah, we were we had. Yeah, you know, the the whole range of success in our in our on court environments, but or team, sorry, but the environment was fun. It was my mates, so you mm. just kind of keep keep fronting and uh, and keep trying to get better. Look, when did you start thinking coaching was going to be for you? Was it right back, you know, the ten years before when you were coaching that under 18s team, or was it later in your career when you thought a head coach was something you wanted wanted to do, and you were kind of then turned yourself into an assistant coach while still playing, or how did how did it all all develop? I think after those those initial years that we just we were just spoke about, I kind of club uh, sorry coached some uh, some junior teams at Sterling. Yep. Kept kept just doing that in the wobble state champs that type of thing. Enjoyed it. 
just kind of just kept moving forward with it. It wasn't necessarily a, a thought process of post-playing uh, at that point in time. And then um, as I finally got towards the slow death of my playing career, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I kind of started to realise that I kind of, you know, there, there, there's an arrogance there that it was like, well, you know, I want to do this, I can be good at this. And it, it just kind of fires up something else and through the, those last few years out of Chris Muir as coach, who gave me a lot of responsibility as one of the senior players. And then my last couple of years playing with Mike Ellis, I was able to sort of just you know, pick some brains, particularly of Mike, and, and kind of go like, yeah, no, I, I think this is something that I really want to uh, want to push for. And it was just kind of a slow evolution, really. Yeah. And then I guess it seems to be a, a bit of a theme of our group of mates here, Craig, Mark, yourself, um, that journey into wheelchair basketball and jumping in. I know you played a little bit back in the early days with Sterling and, and at, out there at Osmond Park in the old tin shed, but you know, what, what's that been like and, and how's that been for you? What's that, you know, what's the, what's your general thoughts on it? Um, the, the way it came about initially was at the end of 14, I was, you know, not going to, SPL anymore. I was I was pretty spent, and so John Chiscari was coming back out of the wheelies into, into SPL, and kind of knew what, as you know, when that one year we had down there at Mandurah, it was good mates with John, so he hit us up and, and, and offered us the, the opportunity to have a go. And remember, in the when you were first talking about it on this as well, you kind of said I thought I'd go in for have a bit of a look, see, mm-hmm. and yeah, be involved with basketball, but not the you know the two three times a week, the kind of weekly grind that uh, that an SBL season can be. And yeah, five years later, here I am. I kind of got into it, and I'd had that little bit of connection, what you know, in the way back, and then obviously being with mates with yourself and and, and Trigger, um, and kind of always kept an eye on it. Um, but what I actually found when I got back into it, having been pretty burnt out after nine years in SBL at the end of 14, was kind of made me rethink, restart, uh, fired up a few you know, passions again maybe that I had to go back and, and relearn and, and refine why within myself. Yeah. Um, which you do kind of tend to park at times. It's not by choice, but I think it just gets parked when you're in the, the constant flow of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, going back and I, I can still remember the session where I was like, all right, well, does any of my able-bod stuff work? Can you try to do some things and dive actions and all these type of things? And you're like, nope, nope, yeah. nope, <laughs> nope, nope. So I was like, okay, so I'll work on defense. And there's a, a lot more transition across the two in that. I think it's an easier thing to, I found it anyway, an easier thing to sort of relate and evolve with. Yes. And um, and was lucky enough, obviously, to have Amber, who uh, yeah, Amber merits the, the best scoring player probably Australian women's wheelchairs had. Um, and for those listening, in a forty-minute game, Amber for five years has averaged thirty points a game mm, um, yeah. in a chair. So it was a bit like yeah, it was a bit like the old Doug Collins get the ball to Amber and get the <laughs> bleep out of the way. <laughs> yeah. um, you know there was a but we also had Vinny and George and Matt, and we had some. Some Australian squad players there, so it was like if we can score enough and we're getting thirty there, so let me just sort of refocus in on the defence, which was kind of what I'd always hung my hat on in, in SBL anyway, and learned that bit, and then kind of just over time through that first year into the second year, you start to pick up the nuance of the game. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, again, it's, uh, people say the, the equation people use is, is like it's like a game of chess, but yeah. for me, it, it is and it isn't. Like the, the chess part is in the, the way you've got to be thinking three steps ahead and so on and so forth, but the actual game itself is it's very, yeah, a lot of your concepts that you try and get done on the court perhaps don't work, but your philosophies can stay the same. So as you're saying, your defensive philosophy, yep, we're going to make you take the toughest shot possible. We're going to stop you going baseline, stop you doing this, rebound the ball. And then at the other end, um, yeah, you're just trying to get the ball to your best scorer and get the highest percentage shot. Yeah. How you actually do that, I played it to when you go onto Google Map and it gives you A, B, C. And you've got to pick the best way with the least amount of roadblocks to get there. That's probably the better mm-hmm. analogy. You're going to get to the end point, but you might have to take a different route to get there because, and Mandy Bodavita would have taught you this straight away. She's probably the one I thought of when you just said about what you tried to do. She would have just put a chair in front of someone and said, now what? And he would have gone, <laughs> which for me was Michael Hartnett. So, you know, that, there's always that one. And that they help you. And the thing that I got from the game is they are actually, as I say, they, the players, are more than happy to show you what you've done wrong, but then they'll also show you how to get it right. Whereas in the Aberboard game, the, the feelings tend to get hurt a little bit more or players don't want to challenge you as a coach because they don't want to get told what they're doing is wrong. So um, I found that communication and learning the game from the players to be you know, the, the, the thing that sort of expedited that, that learning process for me. And then eventually your coaching brain takes over when you start to see the matrix unfold in front of you and that's probably when you, you got hooked on it was you started to go, okay, when this gets taken away and this gets taken away, I now know I can go and do that. And that's when the game becomes, it sort of falls into place. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, matrix is a, is, a, is, a, is a pretty good term for it. All, all of a sudden, you're kind of seeing the numbers crunch. Yeah, yes. Three, three, three seconds ahead. Yes. Um, and, um, and, and the thing is sort of harping on what you said there as well is it's not just your players that do that. So uh, as you know, Ben, but uh, yeah, within the women's league, they do what they call a cluster round. So we kind of all fly to the one place and you play four games on a weekend. So all teams are there. But you might be talking to players from another team and you kind of, you know, but you're going to play tomorrow. But they're like, oh, no, what you need to do here is this. So there's a yeah. lot more information flow and learning back and forth, particularly when you're new because they want people involved in the sport. Exactly. And it's a funny thing you just said then there as well. You know, we've got players and we're talking about having a condensed season and we only want to play 10 games over the 10 weeks and we don't want to travel to Geraldton and we don't want to travel to Kalgoorlie. Try travelling to Wollongong or far north Queensland for, for four games in a weekend and you're the Perth team that leaves at midnight on Thursday to arrive at 6am the next day on Friday, drive to your accommodation, jump out of your chair for, for half an hour, then you're in the bus and you're playing at four o'clock that afternoon. I don't really think anyone can complain in the little old SBL about a road trip or playing a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. No, but uh, the uh, yeah the, the weekends were uh, were full. Yeah, it was I don't know what's on the planes were, but it was six o'clock at the airport, so probably seven thirty eight o'clock flight on a Friday morning, and we'd get back somewhere between eight and eleven, depending on time timetables and whatever on a Sunday night. Yeah, um, and yeah, you're off to Sydney, say Brisbane, and yeah, four games, four games while you're there and racing around like. Yeah, mad people to uh, get back on the plane and come home. So it was that. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the the one-off trip country in the SBL was. Uh, well, I guess I probably got that. My first coaching gig was also a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm probably I'm the wrong person to speak to about how hard a one-game road trip is in SBL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good good segue, Charlie. To 
So when you did go to coach the Goldfields Giants, it was immediately after you finished finished up playing. You had the one year in manager, and then 2006, you appointed coach of of the Giants. It was an interesting time to take over over as coach there as well, because they had pretty much for most of their history, and I've spoken to Randy Meagle about this a fair bit on our women's show. They were close to being a contender. They had some really close moments, but they couldn't quite get over that hurdle. And obviously, 2006, you didn't quite go all the way, but 2007, 2008. You did. Um, what was it like taking over that team and how did you get them over the hurdle to become a team that did win back-to-back championships? Um, yeah, it was, it was painful last week talk, uh, listening to Darren talk about how much that 2006 meant. Yeah. It, um, the, 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 the challenges were, were, were yeah, obviously a fewfold. Uh, rookie coach and a, a fairly experienced team, but, but still young. The average age was probably 24-ish of most mm. of the guys around that. The Seamus, the Hez, the Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy Todd, those guys were roughly around that age. So not massively experienced yet at SBL level, but because they've had that kind of yeah, ongoing good success, but not mm. the ultimate success, there was some... I guess there were some challenges to, to break down that, yeah, the, and I'm not saying the guy said this ever, um, but in, in the only way I can explain it is the whole, this is, this is kind of what we've done to, to have our success. And, um, yeah, I, I guess the one thing that that team had was, was speed and scoring. You know, with Seamus and Hez alone, you're a fast team. Hume's deceptively quick. The, uh, you know, the, the bonus for those groups was a Matt Lesky rocking up from South Australia to work mm-hmm. for BHP and then, yeah, filling in around that with our imports. And it was, Really, the the keys and the focus at that point were we're going to be a good defensive team. That's just a given, um, and that was probably more because that's what I was. I wasn't a twenty point per game scorer. We, yeah, sunshines, obviously, but um, you know, I, I made my chops in the league of yeah, Greg Gurr saying to me, "You're going to guard everyone from yeah, Fitchy to Vince to Dan to Pete," and it's like. Yeah, just got thrown at the deep end when I was a pup, and it was like, well, I kind of, kind of figured that stuff out. So it was like, we're going to play D, and we're going to actually have to learn to execute with purpose in our half court. And I think that was the thing that I brought to that group. If I was the year, to be honest, from a structural mm-hmm. perspective, was you know, it's not just good enough for us to fly up the floor. We have to grind in, a, in, a, in against the lakeside. We have to be able to grind something out, but know that there's a purpose to it and how we're going to get to what we want. It's one thing to win a championship for a Perth-based club. What did it mean to Kalgoorlie? What, 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 was, the, what was it like in the city when you brought the championship back, back to that town? I'd have to probably go to the – it was a long Monday. <laughs> uh, it, um, look, it was, it, it was a bubble, not the mm. current bubble. <laughs> that, we, yeah. that we have in our lives now. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember when uh, Frenchie and then John Bowler, who was the uh, the chairman at that time, when 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 they first sort of spoke to me to uh, to, to go up there, and we're talking two thousand late two thousand and five, the NBL was in that little bit of flux. Mm-hmm. The Giants had more press releases and stories than the Wildcats did that year. Now, that might be a bit urban myth, but that's how, yeah, that's what was told to me. So there was, you know, constant media in town, the paper, two radio, uh, two radios, the local and the local ABC and two TV networks. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, the biggest single team, sporting team within, within the region. Mm-hmm. So that, that was pretty, you know, a pretty big 
sort of, I guess, event for the town. It was mm-hmm. broadcast on the local radio back to live, back to Kalgoorlie. I remember um, Doc, Doc Earl telling us that he listened to it on the radio. That's how he that's how he tuned in. Yes. Yep. Yes, that's right. Yep. So there was, um, yeah, that was broadcast live back, um, a big uh, celebration afterwards and um, look it, it was it was a pretty big event um, it was a pretty yeah I guess it was a, a pretty big deal in, in, in town in, when you think about it uh, when you're in it you're just kind of enjoying the moment mm. but when you stop and think back about it you, you kind of realise that uh, you know there was a lot of people back to uh, to the Spruce and the Humes who were part of setting it up and the Boulders and, and you know, Ned and, and Charlie Fancart who took it up there and initially. So there, there was there was there was a lot of there was a lot of people who uh, had done the hard yards for us to enjoy the, the success that we had. I mean, you, you said it's your, it was your first, you know, it's your first sojourn into being a head coach, and I guess you know we're kind of a little bit tucked away in the city when you when you take those roles, and you know would have been quite a baptism of fire. I know it's a, you know you said it was an attractive thing, but you know, you've got extra media, um, the only team you know that's in that focus in the town. Did you sort of? feel like under the pressure or what did it what did it teach you as far as things that you know helped make made you become a better coach along the way being just under that scrutiny i guess i definitely i definitely underestimated that on the uh before i went up that you know it was you don't know what you don't know and um so it was probably you know for, for the first few months and even halfway through the first season where we started to get rolling it was all rainbows and unicorns mm-hmm. and um and then you have coached women's yeah. basketball <laughs> it's, um, and then, uh, oh, and obviously, look, we, yeah, and Garrett mentioned it was last week, wasn't it? That, yep, yeah, that yep. we were probably the favourites. We rode a 20 or a 21 game win, winning streak into that grand final. And, um, yeah, so as much as I hate to say, he's probably right that mm. we probably were the favourites going into that game. My memory isn't so black and white on that at the time, but. But when yeah, when you think about those things, he's he's probably correct. Not winning that, and yeah, there was obviously is it's about as flat as an annual season get. But then that second year, they probably started to grind some pressure that we we probably needed to win this. We were right there. We they made the two four grand final. We'd lost the six. You know, if we don't win seven, you know, you know, are you still the coach of the Giants? So yeah. some of those pressures sort of would uh, I guess you'd feel them. But I think the thing. Probably the best thing I took out of it in the end, personally, was that it taught me not that you're right, but that at least you're you're in that half of the equation anyway. I don't think there's a right way, or a you know, I don't think any coach can black and white just be right. But that what what I was trying to do, it kind of it kind of probably the confidence boost, which is dumb. You think winning it, you'd already be confident, but it, it probably gave me the, the the confidence to go like, all right, I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not buggering this thing up, and 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 kind of freed me up a little bit, but also kind of showed me that like yeah, back yourself, trust yourself. White noise is white noise. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not hard at times, but kind yep. of pocket it, put it away, focus in on what your, your key five things are, which was where I was at that point, was my five things each year, and, and away we'd go, and we, we would just, let's let's go. All right, we're doing something right here. Let's keep rolling. Yep. I think that's what you got to do. You've got to uh, block out that all that outside stuff, and at the end of the day, you make the, the 12 guys in front of you your priority, and, and they see that as well. And that builds a little bit of trust in them that you know you're not worried about what everyone else is saying. You're you're just trying to get the best out of them, and that's that's usually the best way to go. And, and I think you're right. If the if the players see that, and and I, and I think the coach's job is. I, I remember there was one of the, the journos up there in the, the cow miner in the paper and talking to, to him and it was like the thing I always he took with me was players win games, coaches lose them. 
Mm. So if if we've lost, it's on me. If we yep. win, it's on you. And if you truly believe that, and it's not just lip service, then then you'll be all right, and the players will see it. You then come back from Kalgoorlie and you, and you take out the job at Coburn. And I guess it's funny how it works out. Your second year at the Cougars and you win a championship as well. How much different was it coming back to Perth and coaching, a, I guess, a local club compared to what you were used to up in Kalgoorlie? Um, look, there was, there was obviously pros and cons in both clubs. One of the things I enjoyed about being back at Coburn was having been a part of for so long being back in a, in a whole of club. Mm-hmm. Or a whole of SBL club because yep. Coburn is uh, Cowgirl and obviously the Giants are, uh, are a club, but being involved with all the Wobble Juniors, the D sure. League, obviously the women's side of things as well. And it, it kind of felt sort of homelier in, in mm-hmm. that regard and, and, and probably just more familiar. So, yeah, that that was actually something I, just, I really love coming back to Perth, being part of Coburn and sort of immersing back in, a, in, a, in, in my familiarity of what a whole of club was. I think also Coburn, it's one of those things about having played down there and then played against them for a long, long time is that they almost have that country club mentality in the fact that you know, there's a little bit of um, you know, us against them mentality, I guess, that sort of come through from the, the humble beginnings and, and all that sort of stuff. And they've always had that really close-knit feel and you walk in there and um, they're very proud of, of their accomplishments and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I guess, yeah, Coburn's are probably a good place to land when, you've, when you're coming back from, from that environment out there in, the, um, in Kalgoorlie. Uh, yeah, and agree. And I, and, I, and I think, yeah, and it was one of the ex-players who spoke about the Coburn at that point, and I don't want to speak about the last five years, obviously, I've been detached a little bit from the SBL, but they were always the best at re-engaging their past players mm. and, and keeping the, the family attached. Uh, and it was something yep. that was, that was, it was, it was real. It was there. It was, you could touch it. As you said, since you finished up there in 2014, you, your life's taken a bit of a different direction in terms of your basketball involvement, going to the wheelchairs, but you still have been involved in the SBL, I guess, on, on the outskirt, and, and you're still an SBL commissioner. Um, how do you see the state of the league at the moment, and how do you see it moving forward as, I guess you can tell us probably a little bit more than we know, about the move towards potentially the, the NBL one next year? Um, so I, I haven't been a commissioner for the last year or so. Okay, okay, sorry. Um, but, um, which, uh, which is just, yeah, even if I had wanted to, probably wouldn't have been able to commit to it just with everything else anyway. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think, look, I think the NBL one, yeah, still obviously, yeah, still speaks to a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think the NBL one move is a good move. I think um, from a from an awareness, not even a branding, but I just think more from an awareness, yep. giving us some, um, you know, I think attaching to the NBL name is a is a good mark for the uh, for the mm-hmm. league um, and gives us a little bit. And I think it, what it will provide, maybe a little more, just more, not parity of quality of games, because that will still, flow from, from region to region and Siebel or SBL or QBL mm. or whatever it will be, but just in recognition and, 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 and ex- acceptance of the different leagues to be able to sit at home and because because we are all tragics, have a couple of beers and watch an NBL one game, mm-hmm. you know, Dandenong versus, I don't know how to get the clubs wrong here, it's off the top of my head, yeah, but yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> whoever it might be. But then coaches over there are going to be watching our guys and yep. our imports and we'll be able to get some flow. In. And I think it will just really generate just a, a really a, re- a really good high level and improving level of uh, knowledge across the whole country in those second-tier level competitions. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's that it, it allows so much more exposure for, for players who are trying to make that next level, trying to, even if it's just, you know, one, one level above, go from the SBL to, to a QBL or uh, something like that, not straight into the, the NBL. Um, and also for coaches as well, that exposure that you have, you know, people don't know the success overseas that you've probably had for a 10-year reign as an SBL coach and there are other opportunities that come up because of that. So just that exposure that we're getting, much you know, the, the sport itself is growing and, and the more that people can sit down and watch it, it's going to be, it's going to be great. So I think it's a, yeah, it's a really positive move for us at the moment. Yeah, and I think you know basketball is growing. I think the product here is improving every year. You know how it relates to you know playing what we would have called a Siebel team. We're not sure. We're not at the position as a sport to sort of throw together a national championship, which would be great. But there's there, there's a lot of um, issues around that. It's not as simple as uh, everyone seems to think. But it's starting to allow us to to sell basketball at the yep. highest level uh, as we can, and we've got to use this particular high point and. And rather than sort of plateau and drop like we did in the 90s to, to keep it driving forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree. Now, I guess, Charlie, COVID-19 has affected the whole world in some way or another, and we're, we're no different. Um, in terms of you, both in terms of, I guess, what you expected from a basketball sense this year and, and your life in general, what sort of an impact has it had on you over the last three or four months? Um, I've become very much closer to my cow. Um, <laughs> it's, um, look, like personally, and, and, and yeah, I am one of unfortunately hundreds of thousands that uh, yeah, work-wise it, it got me and it got out. It, it got us through work, and there's been that the literal effect that it's had had on me personally. Mm. Um, but as I said, I'm, I'm just one of far too many of us at the moment, which is no one's fault, and that yeah. that will fix itself over time. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been. Uh, Lucky enough, if that's the right term, but lucky enough with um, with the, uh, the the gliders work. So uh, it's allowed me to put a lot of prep time in around all the yeah the, the boring the, yep. the, the boring admin, if you want to put it that way, stuff and developing you know, style of play, a lot of culture, a lot of zooms. We've all we've all discovered Zoom mm-hmm. over the last four months, and just a lot more of that prep stuff that I wouldn't have been able to dedicate myself to as much if I was still working. And it's also kept me sane, Dave. So yeah. I'm not just on the couch watching Netflix. Um, yeah. From the national program perspective, it, it, it's obviously yeah, it changed a lot from when in January we were trying to work out what our June. European trip was going to look like to uh, you know everything's parked. So at this point of time, we uh, have a very light pencils in camp at the back end of September. That, uh, that you know my gut feel says won't proceed. Yeah. So as a national program, we won't get together potentially until the first week of December. Although we might be able to slip something in, but our next planned get together would be uh, at uh, at the AIS for. Uh, uh, for Bernie for the Frank Ponder Cup, mm-hmm. yep. and um, you know that might be all we get this year. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of uh, so wheelchairs split up through the state-based uh, Institute of Sports, so WACE and Swiss QAS and BIS, and where yep. the women are, and there's there's Sassy in South Australia, and a couple of guys up in Darwin, part of the men's program. So the very much focus is on doing the work in those daily training environments and that's all we can do we're trying to build skills we're trying to build uh, a base style of play in that environment but it's kind of hard when uh, we've got young one-pointers going against here in Perth as the example Mm -hmm. which is where I get to go and watch going against Sean Norris Mm -hmm. yeah um, who's yeah as an elite 
performer, performed athlete as WA probably has had for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, so those, so we're really talking about Mac Fife going against a 15-year-old kid <laughs> is kind of yeah. the discrepancy yeah. of, yeah. of, 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 of opportunity or of, of skills and performance more than skills. But challenges the young one-pointers, you know, we can Brad down at Waste can tailor some sessions to, to make sure and have to uh, work it versus numbers and bits and pieces, but it's really focused in on that, kind of really physically. It's meant that we're split, but it's probably allowed us to build more on, on relationships mm-hmm. than maybe you would just by, you know, we were meant to have had a camp, go to Colorado Springs in April, go to go away in June, have a September camp. Uh, actually, July camp is what it was initially meant to be. Yep. Um, so we may have either the benefit that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for and time will tell is that maybe our relationships are better. We've been able to work on us as people as opposed to my ability to shoot ball, which will just mm. translate down the track. Mm. Mm. Time will tell on that one. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've covered a lot of ground, Charlie. It's been, been great to have you on the show. You've obviously got a long history with Ben. Have you got anything to finish off with for Charlie, Ben? Oh, look, again, not trying to show his age or anything here, but Charlie's <laughs> really the only person we've spoken to that I think has would have any working knowledge of the, the final four matchups with yes. the Redbacks giant closely playing, would have played against the Mustangs and then that 03 Perry Lakes team. So just what he thinks of those matchups and any, any anything that jumps out off the page of him there. Mm. I think it's been fun. I think it's been, it was a great idea and it's been really fun to listen to. And, and you've also well done for the three of you for putting yourselves in a no-win situation and being prepared to do that. <laughs> um, because whoever you pick, you're just automatically going to upset the other 20-something thing. Sure. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty much my life, Charlie. Um, Again, I I think you didn't help yourselves by having the Redback Wands match up too early, but that's Mm. you know that's that's what it was. And I'm pretty dirty that my Cougars team couldn't get out of that first round. Uh, But all all jokes aside, you um, you just had to rally the troops. You had to rally the troops to get them to vote. um, Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's fair call too. (laughs) Um, It's not a shot at you. I'm just disappointed. No, for sure. Um, but, uh, but the, the reality of it is, and probably except for, yeah, for the last four or five years, the, the teams that have come through in, in that period of time, I've either coached against or played against all of those teams. So, you know, it was you know, going against those those early Redbacks teams where, you know, it was Lahoff and Longley and you're just like, oh, really? Really? Yeah. Like, not only is, is you know, I said before, like, Gary, Gary, you know, gave me a baptism of fire, which which I loved anyway, but it was like, go guard Andrew Vlahoff. It was like, <laughs> really, really? Because I'm like all of like 84 kilo here. Those teams, the, the, the Redbacks team that's through is, is tough for me to not favour, mm-hmm. purely because I had to play against it and it was it was, it was tough. Um, you know, when they had two good imports, and, you know, Wildcats guys, Two, you know, two starting boomers. You know, it, it's that team in my head that is always, yeah, that's my Jordan, that's my Jordan team, if that yeah. makes sense, because it's my yeah. reference point. And it's, it's really hard for me to, uh, to look past that. There are some, you know, some, some wrinkles in that, in that I think some of the, uh, well, most of the other teams that are left in that have a better bench. Mm-hmm. I think they're deep. Right. I don't think that Redbacks team was, bad on the bench, but I think some of the other teams had uh, probably a bit of depth. You know, again, I look at my, uh, the the teams I uh, coached up in, in, in Kalgoorlie, and, and we had, you know, serviceable guys in Lesky, who I think 
you know, I remember speaking to him about it at the time that I'm glad he came here, but if he had gone to any other team, he would have started for the four mm. years that I was coaching him, but he was playing behind import picked and parent. Yeah. You're not going to start, mate. So you know how I'm going to get you on? You're going to have to be an undersized backup four mm-hmm. as well as a backup three. I mean, here, the, the evolution we, we got, and I'm just focusing on these teams because I know more, mm. is the evolution and improvement we got in Jimmy and Todd you know, to the point that they both had through seven and eight were both far better than probably people remembered. And I think it was in 08, Todd may have been our highest minutes played player. Mm. Wow. There you go. Um, so some of those benches, I think, in some of the other teams were maybe a little better, but I don't like to laugh. It's, it's Luke. It's like, <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They, yeah. what are you going to do with them? Um, yeah. Probably those Perry Lakes teams that are still in it. And I can't remember which year is still, still in the mix. But yeah, they would be. With Joe, with Simon, and you know, coming off the bench, and then some really good role players you know, off that as well. Like that depth is where you might get that Redbacks team. Yeah. But uh, it, it's tough for me to, to to look past that if I I am also going to park my the team that I was involved with. Mm. And yeah. say, you know, I've got to do the right thing and go. Well, you know, it's like every year when people ask you like, who's the best team in it? And you go like, well, the best team we play is because we can't play ourselves. You sure. can't yeah. make yourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, that's a team for me that I. I struggle to look past, but I think that's blinded as being a uh, a skinny, over energetic, under under skilled <laughs> guy trying to uh, trying to compete. Yeah, is it a nice feeling knowing that you coach a team that has made it to the final four of a tournament like this? Uh, I guess there's a little part of you goes like, yeah, that's a nice feeling. Yeah, um, but again, that's. You know, thank you for the coattails, guys. <laughs> um, you know, it's... Uh, well, neither of Ben's teams made it. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, um, but I think, I think it comes down to what we said before. It's um, the winning finishes very quickly and you move on. So mm, it's, yeah. a great, it's a great thing to reflect that and have a beer and, and, and talk some smack about. But at, at, the end, at the end of the day, and this is, as I said, I love this concept, but it's not going to change any of the teams that are in it, any of the uh, that aren't in it, mm. even so this down to the final four, but any of the teams, we wouldn't change those years for anything. I wouldn't yeah. swap any of those three teams. But you still won that championship. That, yeah. yeah. And I wouldn't, exactly. I wouldn't swap it to coach that Redbacks team. As good mm-hmm. a team as that was, I wouldn't swap the experiences that I've had to do that. So we still all hold those you know, close to us and we still just continue to look forward. And yeah, look, we'll have a beer and a joke somewhere along the line. But, uh, but it's... Um, yeah, in that way, I enjoy it, mm. uh, and, and and it's look, I'm I'm proud to be uh, have have been a part of of all the teams that the nine years I coached in SBL and, and the ups and downs of all of it. There's nothing that I would say I would swap. Mm-hmm. Very good. La- last question from me: Better scorer, Gav Field, Amber Merritt. <laughs> You'd probably have to go Amber. And like, there's no bigger Gav for a fan than me. He yeah. won, yeah, he won me one of those things too. <laughs> yeah. um, but 30 points per 40 minutes in a chair. The one thing I can say is that, you know, Amber's the only player I've coached who has been the best scorer in her sport in the country. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, I would I would go on on that as the difference. But um, yeah, it's one and one a. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would uh, my in my head, it's Amber's the. Just the pure bucket, like she's just going to get your buckets from minute one to minute forty. Yep. But yep. if you're if Coburn's down by one with fifteen seconds on the clock and Gav Field has the ball, Gav's making the shot. I've seen Correct. him do that. That's that's the that thing. So Gav's going to get you that bucket, 
Um, but Amber will, yeah, just relentlessly score from minute the tip to, to the final siren. Amber's just pouring it in. So that's probably how I would um, would split it. Yeah, no, it's it, it's completely true. Um, you know, Gav wants that ball. Yeah. Um, he wants to take that shot. Um, and, and, you know, he's proven that he's pretty good he's in that situation. <laughs> the, the most yeah. remarkable um, thing about Gav for me is the year after he did his elbow and he missed that championship win, he almost played a whole season shooting left-handed or using his left hand predominantly and he was still almost a leading scorer in, scorer in the league. I don't think anyone else could do something like that. Oh, he's 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 one of the most, particularly as an Australian, it would probably be easier to say, but he's one of the most unique players that the league's probably seen. Yeah. Um, because in that 12 season, we played at Perry Lake and we made one sub and Gav went from guarding their five to their point guard. Yep. There you go. Yep. On one sub I made, and I went, so I put, obviously put a big in and went and took a guard out and just went, Gav, you just guard the point guard now. Yeah. And by the way, you'll probably get me 18 on the night as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, he was a bit of a Swiss Army knife, and with, with Shelley uh, McIntyre, we, we had a couple on that team yeah. that we could do that with as well. But, yeah, one of the most unique players I can remember seeing in the league. Mm. Well, I yep. remember that game two of your of your quarterfinals. I think the year after the championship that they won, Ben and he set and um, Sever Chan was missing that game, and he played played point guard in that game two down in Coburn, and and you you had no answer for him that night. Was that against us in yeah, thirteen? Yeah. Was it? Yeah, uh, that I would have been that, that would have been the year after you lost to them in the grand final. So sixteen. All oh, right, yeah. And and the yeah. quarterfinals, and Sever Chan didn't play in that game seven, two down in Coburn, and then and yeah. then and then Sever came back the next night and. And you actually beat them pretty well with him as point guard again. But with that one game as Gavin as the point guard, you know, they, they blew you off the floor. Yeah, and that's it. You're, you're playing again. Suddenly the ball's in his hand 98% of the time instead of yeah, 75% yeah. of the time. It was just, yeah. yeah, probably glad that, you know, Nina didn't work that out a little bit earlier. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, anytime the ball's in Gav's hand, it's uh, you're grabbing everything you can to try and stop him. So. Mm. All right, Charlie, you've been very generous with your time. And, you know, like like I said last week with Jared Prue, you're very similar. You couldn't do an SBL podcast like we're doing without having a chat to you. And I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. But for everything you've done for the league and everything you continue to do for basketball in WA, you've left a remarkable legacy. And I'm sure you'll continue to, to build on it. But for now, thanks very much for joining us. No worries at all. Uh, thank you for uh, for the chat. And uh, again, loving what you're doing with this podcast. Um, and uh, I hope it just keeps going from uh, from uh, from good to great. Yeah, let's hope so. Charlie. Thanks very much. All right. Uh, thanks for joining me today, Mark. We'll um, we'll talk about this final four that we've we've got now. The the, the four teams that have been successfully to get through. Um, the the first matchup is the the '90s Redbacks versus uh, the '07 Giants, and then we've got the Mustangs of '91 versus the '03 Hawks. So I'll let you go first and um, give us your thoughts on that first matchup. Uh, for me, looking at uh, the matchups that we've got, people know that I love that 90s Redbacks team and I always kept saying that it was really good. But interestingly, when I crunched the numbers, uh, I have the Giants winning in this one. And uh, from memory, we played that Giants team in the first round of the playoffs and up in Kalgoorlie, they won two games by a combined total of 103 points against us. So I think that Giants team was outstanding. Um, they could put on big scores from people and they covered across the board. Uh, Steve Charlton's a coach. Actually, I give the, the mark over uh, Don Shepard 
in a close one and, and the brilliance of Seamus Ballantyne was great and Mark Heron's defensive capabilities mixed in with a very, very deep bench. I give that to the Giants in that battle, which is a bit of a surprise, but it just shows how close this is. Yeah, and again, tough one for me there. I, I do I do love this uh, 90s Redbacks team and I guess it's that uh, Longley-Vlachoff combination that, that teams would, would really struggle to match up on. I know one of the things that jumped out at us, Mark, was that Andrew Vlahoff versus Mike Haney. Um, I think that would just be a stellar um, arm wrestle under the basket, just watching those two, Vlahoff at his peak and, and Haney sort of before injuries took over his career. So, uh, But, yeah, I've, I've got that 90s Redbacks team, um, not in a canter, probably coming down to the wire, something something miraculous under the basket to uh, to win the game on that one. The second one that we have is um, the the 91 Mustangs, the the top-loaded Mustangs versus a a very deep um, Perry Lakes Hawks. I guess for me, you know, that that Mustangs team, that starting five is as good as any. Um, And then you you chuck in their their bench, even though it wasn't deep. I just think McCathrian, Roland Brooks, James Jackson, Mike Elliott, Glenn Ellis, I think that's just a very, very strong starting five. And Brett Jose um, off the bench and and, uh, young Darren Rollinson, Sort of make them a very formidable task. So I've sort of I've gone gone the way of the '91 Mustangs in this one. I love the '91 Mustangs as well, but crunching the numbers, I think this is their only team that maybe the '90 Redbacks. But this is the only team that would have actually um, got them through and knocked out. And I've actually gone for the Perry Lakes Hawks. Uh, the depth of the Mustangs was outstanding with Steve Jose, not Brett. Um, with Steve Jose was outstanding, but. The depth of this Hawks team was even better. They had a Joe Allen Tapire off the bench as a point guard, and where the weakness of the Mustangs was with not having that traditional point guard with James and Glenn, they had Simon Blennerhassett, Joe Allen Tapire. Um, their guard core was great, and then you've got you know the start of the big forwards that would have actually you know challenged and physically matched uh, Roland as great as he was in. Slimfield and, and Mega, and then you've got the big Matt Burston that doesn't give and gives Mark McCathrin a battle inside where he is dominated against other teams. So I've got the Perry Lakes team winning that one. Well, there you go. Uh, we've split it down the middle, one each for, for each of us. So it's going to be in the, the lap of the gods, as we say, um, to decide that uh, championship matchup. Okay, back here on SBL Shootaround, Bannon. Fascinating chat there that you had with Mark about our NCAA tournament. It's it's created great excitement, and I'm really looking forward to seeing seeing who we think's going to end up in the in the championship matchup. Quick question for you before we wrap up the show: Are you more excited about our championship decider now in our NCAA tournament or round one of the West Coast Classic? Oh, it's probably like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day <laughs> at the moment. You know, both. This was uh, the the NCAA was a an idea that hit me about a month ago and we've managed to put that together. So that's, you know, I'm excited to see how that ends up. And I think it was really great to see Mark and I differ on a, uh, on mm. our predictions. And then, yeah, look, you know, we're, any basketball coaches, you could hear it in Charlie's voice, but the thing that's got him through the, the tough times in the last couple of months is being down courtside and being able to coach basketball and how much how much we miss it. And, you know, Mark had an extra little pep in his step. And as I said at that, you know, Craig Mansfield was, was ready to go at the tip of the ball there. So, um, I think everyone's excited about the the West Coast Classic, and, and and I'm definitely one of those. Absolutely, and and as great as this show has been, and thanks to Steve Charlton 
and to Mark Utley for joining us. Um, I'm really looking forward to our next show. So we'll we'll make sure it's releasing time for round one of the West Coast Classic, which gets underway on Friday night. But we'll have a guest, hopefully, from the two teams in the championship game, and then we'll be deciding the winner of our tournament. So I'm really looking forward to what we can come up with in the lead-up now to, to round one of the West Coast Classic on Friday. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Super exciting time. Uh, we've, we've got through that patch that we thought was never going to end. And yeah. first, it's a pretty awesome place to be living at the moment. We've got basketball at our at our disposal. Then it's going to be even better. Absolutely. So thanks again for joining us here on SBL Shootaround. I'm sure you enjoyed our chat with, with Steve Charlton, who has just had an, an amazing life in basketball in Western Australia. So thanks to him for giving up so much of his time. Mark Utley, as always, thanks for his insights. And yeah, get, get voting quickly now to see who will make it through to our championship game. Start start planning where you're going to head this weekend because Friday night, Saturday night, and, and also Sunday, we've got games in the West Coast Classic for you to head out to. So I'm Chris Pike. I'll wrap it up for another show and leave you with Ben Ettridge for another week. Thanks, Chris. And yeah, really, really great to talk to Charlie and talk about the good old days. And you know, as we can see, everyone's excited about what's happening at the moment and basketball's back. And you know, don't leave it to chance if you're anyway inclined for any of the four teams that are left behind in the uh, final four. Get on there and vote. Uh, Mark and I have differed in our, in our choices. So let's, um, let's see how far your favourite team can go and good luck to the teams on the weekend.